0: Are the comments are still? Are the comments still full of bile and hatred for us? Well, let's give the people what they want, Scott.
1: The general atmosphere is very Macbethish. What has or is about to happen? What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over? or Is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. <laughs>
2: It's another Glop Culture podcast. I'm John Podhortz in New York. Elsewhere in New York, Rob Long. Hey, Rob. Hi, John. How are you? And of course, in Washington, Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hello, John. And we're using our NPR voice. Yeah. You guys, you guys, see, you guys seem to have um, a surfeit of energy, and I seem to be have an excess. Of of energy, having just completed yet another podcast, aren't surfing in excess? Cinnamon? Are they? Oh no! Have I just made a horrible a horrible wait, error? Wait wait wait! A, wait I, I, skip,
0: I missed it. What what what? He said we had surfits of energy, and he had no. an excess of energy.
2: Oh, that's true. Surfits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I you've now wow. caught me in a in a terrible a terrible
0: error vocabulary error. No. This uh, may I be ain't... the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <I'm deeply laughs> hey, come on.
3: Do you smell toast? Do you smell burning toast? <laughs>
2: oh, man. Uh, All right. I, no, well, we were just using your... And we're
3: keeping this. There's yeah. no do-overs. Oh, no, no. You're yeah. using your, uh, like, upbeat host voice, and Joan and I were using our National Public Radio voice.
0: That's right. Oh,
2: yes. yes. From yes. Washington, Washington oh, D.C. I'm, wa- I'm Robert Siegel. I'm Robert Siegel. I'm Robert Siegel. I'm Linda Wertheimer.
3: I'm Linda Wertheimer. I used to do that when I would when I would record at KCRW, as the sound check, I'd say, um, "I'm Linda Wertheimer. and I'm, I'm Robert Siegel, <laughs> and I'm Noah Adams. And then that was it. And they would kind of roll their eyes, like you know, you know, these are people who are very important to us. I'm like, yeah, no, they're great, they're great, but they just have a very distinctive voice way of talking. <laughs> Right. I didn't know
2: that you were a dialect comedian. I am. Oh, I listen. I work with props. I'm a sweat act, basically. <laughs> you know, uh, in in the as you know, we we have a, a an ongoing uh, John reads insane books about long vanished celebrity figures. Yeah. So I am currently reading the biography of Mickey Rooney.
3: Oh my God! What? What? In, in the, I don't why know. Why do you do this? Like in a past life, did you burn down an orphanage? Is this what you're how you're paying for it? I find
2: it relaxing. I find it relaxing because I just like it. Just it. it it's reading that does not in, involve any requirement yeah. that I have a political judgment or emotional well, thoughts or something like you that. You have to have a political
3: judgment about on Mickey Rooney. It. If Mickey Rooney, if, if that, if, if a, is it, is it autobiography or biography. No, biography. Because he was a uh, – I mean, you have to have a point of view on Mickey okay. Rooney.
0: Well, I, first of all, I'm only – He was I'm no Albert the, Schweitzer. Let's put it that way. I, I'm in the – The, the audio going. went out there. You just – you said uh, he was a uh, – and there was a long pause. Did yes. was, there, was that lacuna, yes. the result of audio technology, or what, what's going on there? What was the – he was the uh, – I was there.
3: emanating uh. from my penumbra. <laughs> what he was. He was a very – you know, I once saw him and his wife, his, his his like, last wife. Uh, they did a sh- – I don't know why we went. I, I think I went – I don't know who I went. It was somebody – like, I think I went Lloyd Grove, of all people, uh, and a couple friends of mine. And we went to go see – they did a show at the Hollywood – uh, roosevelt hotel he and his wife but there were like a 90 at the point his wife was not 90 she was like 60 and you know how sometimes the couples have this good natured badinage, like i say something oh you you know the old days sunny chair oh look at my husband you know there was true loathing she hated him and he would say <laughs> stuff and she would turn without any humor and say god i hate you and then everybody kind of laughed nervously, like is that was that a dialogue i don't really know. was she was she ad-libbing Um, And then they would sing and dance, and it was the worst thing I've ever seen. So in a way, it was the best thing I've ever seen.
2: Um, So uh, that relationship, uh, (laughs) the final relationship, which sort of begins the book. No, I mean, there are real questions about whether or not he ended his life in a a condition of elder abuse from his wife and her son, um, who – there are accusations that yeah. uh, she stole his money, her son stole his money, and that yeah. and that she abused him, kicked him. There's a scene – there's a description of a, of a moment between them where um, she uh, – they're sitting at a table, and she – he says something she doesn't like, and she kicks him.
3: Yeah, I saw uh, that.
2: I uh, under I saw the that. table, <laughs> and he bursts into tears. Huh. Uh, and, and you know, from – from uh, Did in, you bring a big pain?
0: silver-domed platter for dinner and underneath it was a dead rat? Uh, uh, no, that's that's whatever that whatever. happened to Baby Jane. No, that's – yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, <right>. ba- that's <laughs> Baby but Jane. But very similar. Right. Yeah.
3: The problem yeah. here is that what we forget, and it probably is not in the book, is that some victims of elder abuse deserve it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh god. That's not in the no. book. Oh my I, I, god. i oh my I'm god. Guessing that's oh my not god. the chapter heading yeah.
3: of the yeah. the epilogue.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting cuz there are various things about this, you know, you think about Mickey Rooney and you think oh my god, you know, if you saw clips of him in the 1930s how he was just sort of like over overacting and over over oh, cheerful man. and everything and then all this um but I mean it says things like Fran- uh Lawrence Olivier said that he was the greatest actor the world had ever produced oh, of all gimme. things oh and stuff like God. that um and and I Thing will say true. that I if think he you meant Mickey th- Rourke, but I think if you think <laughs> about the kinds of work that this guy did, he was the biggest star in Hollywood for five years, five years the number one box office draw in Hollywood from like, like nineteen thirty eight to nineteen forty three you know um. And then he fell on hard times. He got, you know, he was no longer cute and he sort of started hitting like his 30s and he was just like a short, you know, a short, a short guy. Um, And, but like he was pretty great. Like he was pretty great on those that, you remember that Twilight Zone where he is the bitter short guy who ends up getting. Right, and getting tall, and then he can't get out of his room.
1: How you like it in there? I'm your memory, your consciousness. I'm every one of your aspirations and recollections. I'm every one of your failures and defeats. I also wear the wreaths of all your victories. I'm what you call the alter ego. You really are a dumb little runt, aren't you? Uh, oh, excuse me. That's what you call yourself, isn't it? Runt or was it shrimp? You have desperate need of me. Knock it out!
2: Mm Because he's too mm -hmm. big for the room. Mm -hmm. Uh Or or his or the black stallion. Right. Right. Wasn't he? That's right. Black stallion's a great And then and he's beautiful. He gives a beautiful performance in the Black Stallion. So he really was a very talented person and just an obviously like the kind of person who grew up in show business, knew nothing, uneducated, foolish, right, uh, you know, catered to his own whims, uh, horrible gambling addiction and all of this, and sort of ended his life. You know, having been a performer for 90 years and ending up with kind of nothing, you know, but bitterness and sorrow and all of that. So uh, let this be a lesson to you. sing
3: a few bars of that. That's a show business story I know a little bit. Well, again, so what are we – we're now on minute seven of this podcast. So we've driven away everybody under the age of 90 with our contemporary culture of 50. Let's be fair. (laughs) Okay. okay, with our okay. with our crackling talk
0: about about the and, stars of the '30s, and also let's 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 be fair. We've lost listeners from every age. <laughs> that, is, <that's> true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> You're just focusing on the ones that we
2: want. Most. Of. That's just one reason we might turn you off. <laughs> I I was looking. I was looking to provide entertainment for. Group one A of the vaccine. Yeah, that's right, my point. Right, right, right. So that if you're waiting on lines
0: to get the vaccine, right. you're listening to your your your, this is your a podcast
3: iPhone. for the most vulnerable
0: population. All right, so I, I have I, I do have a question about Mickey Rooney. How yes. long? Said no one ever. But so, go ahead. Well, no, no, I mean, like I'm trying to think of other modern actors, or I should say modern actors, because he was not one, um, who played young people. Well into sort of at least yeah. early middle age. Michael J. Fox was one, right? Yeah. right. He was yeah. a kid for a while. Um, yeah. uh, Ron Howard, uh, uh, Henry Winkler, the,
3: but pretty much all everybody in the 70s. Well,
2: I'll give you the weirdest. I'll give you the weirdest case. So if you remember Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there's a character that sure. was made in 1982. There's a character named Mike. Mike is the is the hustler, right? The guy yeah, who sells right. tickets to concerts and stuff like that. Now, this is the most important,
4: it comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Led Zeppelin IV.
2: So, the other day... You the around the week. mall at Spencer Gibbs. Yeah, right. Yeah, I the other week, I, I, again, flipping around on TV, I hit Mean Streets... The Martin Scorsese movie sure. that sort of introduced Harvey Keitel and, and Robert De Niro and, and put Martin Scorsese on the map. And Richard Romanes, the actor who played Mike, is in Mean Streets as one of the gang in Mean Streets. This is eight years before Fast Times at Ridgemont High when he was 33 years old playing this high school senior who sells theater tickets. I mean, it's a uh, you know, like concert tickets, like scalps concert tickets. Right, he was right. 34 years old. Olivia Newton-John, I think, 32 when she made Greece. Really? I mean, that explains Channing, a lot. Stalker certainly in her 30s. Certainly in her 30s when she was was Rizzo in in Greece.
0: The, fa- the only thing, because when you mentioned Fast Times at Ridgemont High, is a lot of people don't know this, but Ray Walston, the guy who played Mr. Hand. Sure. was only 18 years old when he made Fast Times at Richmond. <laughs> That's, <right>. <laughs> That's
1: right.
0: That's true. That yeah.
1: Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. You dick!
0: The, the Mickey Rooney question, though, is how long did he ride? Like, What was his oldest age playing like a young person? I think like – I think when he was in
2: his mid-20s, he was still playing a teenager, and then he just aged out of even being a teenager in part because he had already been married four times but also the, by also the, You know, the Jackie Coogan
3: law, li, the, the the laws had been changed. I mean essentially it, Hollywood before that law, before the 30s or 40s, was essentially human trafficking. I mean if you read this – the the – biographies of child stars of the time it's 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 not it, it's so much worse than even Lindsay Lohan's story how they were treated and what they had to do and the hours that yeah. they worked and what happened to their money i mean it was as close to human trafficking as you can get um, in southern california among uh, you know non thai people cuz there's still a lot of that in the thai community um so what? it's true yeah they they, was, they 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 find these containers <laughs> yeah yeah they do
2: are you um, uh, okay? Are we are we making a list of everything that you're saying on the show? That's objectionable, that basically. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to get the it's only facts. it's tw- 12 minutes. But no, that's true.
3: That is, I mean, I'm not. That's a factual thing. That is a factual. That is factual.
2: Okay, okay. I'm sorry. That probably hasn't factual. happened the past
3: 10 years, but 10 years before, they were, every right. now and then they find containers in Long Beach. And the, the port of L.A. filled with people, and they were often Thai, and they would be Thai quote immigrants, but they would come to, the, to, to okay. Los Angeles to work for other people, and then they basically, you know, they're essentially indentured servants, and they had to buy everything at the company store, and they owe. It turns out they owe they owe you ten thousand dollars to come to the United States. You come to the United States somehow you, at the end, end of the year, you end up owing the company yeah. sixty six thousand dollars because each tube of toothpaste is worth a hundred dollars. I mean, this is an old scam, right? Okay. Um, anyway. Anyway, that was a. But, but I digress. Where, where are we
2: going with this? Yes, I'm just going with
3: like once you change the rules, you end up having to do things like find a guy who's over twenty-one to play fifteen, because then you can work him to death and he can't do nothing about it, right? I remember when we had a baby. We had we had an infant baby that we had on a show, and a guy came to us and said, "Listen," and you had to cast Ed Asner. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, listen, you can um. We can get a baby, but it's like we we need triplets or octuplets, right? Because you need as many as possible. You got to keep switching them in and out because the lights are really hot on the little baby's skin, and you can only shoot with the baby like twenty minutes. Um, then you got to swap it out for another baby, or we can invest in the robot baby, which is a really good baby. It's a great looking baby, and you can <laughs> work that robot baby as hard as you like. You can shoot that, or you can put you can you can shoot that robot. Baby in direct sunlight for 27 hours, but the robot baby at the time was like $60,000, but, it w- really? but they, he brought one in, and that was like – it was creepy. It looked like – t- he kept saying, touch the skin, touch the skin because <laughs> he was trying to sell us the robot baby. Touch it, touch it. It's like it feels like skin. Like, well, we're on a TV show. No one's going to touch the skin, and it would kind of move around and stuff. Anyway, and now okay. you can get the well, same was, robot baby at Walmart for 1995.
2: Right,
0: exactly. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Well. Anyway, so I have no idea how we, we got to this point. Although I will say that I learned this weird thing. So they are um, speaking of child actor, uh, you know, actors even even unto today. So uh they are rebooting the show iCarly, which uh, Jonah knows as well as I is a is was like crack for uh yeah. tweens familiar uh ten years ago. Uh actually my son was watching it this morning. It is it was the best, I think, of the of the tween shows of of, of this century. Um uh, you know, not great. you weren't embarrassed to watch it right. as an adult, right. unlike a right. lot of other shows. Um, but one of the stars in it was uh, a, a young actress named Jeanette McCurdy. And Jeanette McCurdy, they are rebooting iCarly. I think either uh, Peacock or HBO Max is rebooting iCarly. Uh, but Jeanette McCurdy, who plays Carly's best friend, is not returning. And we don't really know why. She was also on a show with Ariana Grande. They're canceled after a year because she and Ariana Grande got into big fights and everything. So Jeanette McCurdy, uh, I then read an interview with her. Jeanette McCurdy... Uh, last year, put on a one-woman show called "I'm Glad My Mom Died." Hey, what's it about? <laughs> because apparently, she was the sole supporter of her family. Uh-huh. Uh, her, uh, you know, she she was driven uh, to sort of teenage alcoholism by the demands placed on her by her family, and her mom died of cancer in 2013. And she's glad she's dead. <laughs> so, uh, and is there, is, like not... a,
3: is there like a? Is that like a subtitle? Like, um, you know, uh, like uh, tears in the dawn. Colon. I'm glad my mother's dead. No, <laughs> no, so and so, so and so story. I'm
2: glad my mom died. Yeah.
3: But
0: now, now she gets to go five down, and go... starring Jeanette McCurdy. Anyway, but now Jeanette McCurdy gets gets to go down to Long Beach and go to one of the big trailers and pick out a new mom. <laughs> that's, ah, right. that's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful, nice. and charge the mom and twenty dollars to live in her
2: house, right? So right. basically, the mom can never leave. Mom, you will never leave, right?
3: Uh, well, I um, uh, we used to. This is like another dark story, but we used to. Um, our office was on the ground floor of the old RKO lot, which is Paramount now. Um, and the arcade lot was sort of laid out and, every all the buildings are very close. So it's like a little village and perpendicular to our building across Lucy park, which was the park, um, that Gary, David Goldberg, the creator of, um, everything of everything. Well, of well, really actually only family ties. Uh, he, really? cr- made, yeah, he created kind of a childcare center and the park was part of the childcare center, but right across the street from there was a, our, our, was a bunch of casting offices and, um, and in the summer, or the nice weather, we would have we wouldn't have the AC on. We have the windows open, and you could kind of like, and every now and then you have to. People would walk by and hear horrible things that we were saying in the room. But whatever, it was a different time. And you always knew when someone on the lot was casting children because there'd be a bunch of moms or dads and holding hands with little children and little children walking around Lucy Park holding the sides the the audition material they were about to do. And it was always horrible because you could just see just. Every, every, a little mini Lindsay Lohan's or whoever that other woman was from iCarly is they're all there, right? And we did see as a as a uh, an angry mom with her hand around a white knuckle around the wrist of a little child who was clutching the sides, leaving audition, going towards us, and then taking a right and then through the building to go get their back in their cars, and she was saying. I am very disappointed in you. I am very disappointed in you because her daughter hadn't booked the gig.
2: You know, this reminds me of a story. When I was first uh, employed in New York in 1982 as a researcher for Time magazine, and I was, I don't know, 21 years old. And I worked as a researcher in the world section, and the lead researcher in the world section was a woman who had a three-year-old daughter. And this was the time when the three-year-old daughter was looking to get into preschool in, uh, you know, in New York City, into the, you know, fashionable, fancy girl schools in New York City. Um, And one day she came in and she was in a really horrible mood. So her daughter is three, right? And so I said to her, Ursula, what's wrong? And she said, you know, it was Jacqueline or what, I don't remember what the kid's name was. She really blew it today. So so uh by the way, there is an amazing article. There are t- several amazing articles this week about uh, you know, the horrors of private school in, in you know, yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in our woke day. Barry Weiss has one in um in City Journal uh about the miseducation of America's elites, which I commend to you highly and Caitlin Flanagan has one uh uh that just came out uh this morning. This we're talking on, on Thursday, uh, March what is this, the eleventh? March 11th, uh, called private schools, uh, it's actually called, uh, private schools are indefensible. The gulf between how rich kids and poor kids are educated in America is obscene. And she, uh, she makes a pretty, pretty strong case, uh, uh, about this, speaking as a private school parent, um, anyway, these are these are uh, really really good things to read if you're looking for something to read. But they are reflected in yes. uh, my old boss Ursula saying she really blew it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, not not to get out all policy e on this podcast, uh, okay? upon, but this does raise a point I try to make all the time, and people people there are people on the right who hate. Hearing this, I'm on favor of, I, I think, homeschooling, charter schools, school privatization, yada, yada. I, I get it in favor of it, you know, not in favor of every version of it, but fine. School choice, great. School choice, you know, but you, you get it particularly from a certain sort of codger type on the right. Mm-hmm. They think that is what is going to make our public schools better because kids will learn, and our school is better, because kids will learn what they're supposed to learn, yada, yada, yada. Right, right. And I'm like, hold on a second. No. I grew up in New York, I know, and I have lots of friends like John who have their kids in private schools in New York. I live in D.C. I have my kid in a private school, and a lot of my friends have their kids in private schools. I have school choice. And you that does not get you away from the garbage stuff that schools teach in right. fact you often get worse garbage stuff um at some of these private schools and
2: particularly now particularly in right. the wake of, of black lives matter where curricula are are being overhauled uh by the top uh, right. you know 0.1% of america to um, instruct their children that America – the America that has enriched them and made them the most you – know, the, the richest people on earth is a terrible, unjust, horrible, racist, evil society.
3: Right, but, they're, they're, they, they, but they are smart to do that in a way because a huge portion of the parents of private school – students at private schools don't really care about what's taught. What they care is about what the outcome is. Does the child go to a good college or to a good secondary school? If that's if it's uh, young enough, that's really what that's the the secret commodity they're selling. It's like you know, no one buys no one buys it. It's like when people would buy stuff for the you know buying. It's like buying Sudafed. No one buys it for the Sudafed. They actually just want to turn it into meth. And that is presi- I think that's mostly what happens in private schools. You're not really buying an education. You, you you pay lip service to it, but what you're really buying, the service they're really selling, it's certainly high school,
0: secondary level, is college admits, which is why they print them so prominently. So I, fifteen I, years I, I, ago, go ahead. sorry. So fifteen years ago, we were looking around for school for Lucy and we only had one kid and, and so we could afford the private school thing and public schools in D.C. Actually, elementary schools are not that bad, the public schools, but the high schools aren't great. And so the best way to get your kid into a private high school is to have him come from a private elementary school. So we were like, okay, right. get in at the biggest point. And so we went to all the the open houses, whatever. And, at, and the most amazing thing, with the exception of the school we ended up sending my daughter to, Every single school we went to, they considered the diversity thing not just a point of pride. Fine. That's great. Brag about your diversity. They all wanted to convince you it was their comparative advantage, which is a very different thing, right? Right. They would all say, those other schools talk about diversity, but we really care about it, as if that was going to be the tipping point for every single parent's decision. Right. And, like, for me, diversity is like – It's like a good gym. It's on my checklist, okay, but it's not like number one or anything. And the best school was Georgetown Day, which has a very proud um, tradition because it was founded by basically communist Jews and Blacks to get around segregation, and they're proud of that, and that's great. But they own Rob, Rob, (laughs) Rob. (laughs) Wait, wait, am I on? I
3: thought I was was mute.
0: (laughs) But. So and oh and 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 as Scott Emmergate reminds us, that's where he went. So that explains yeah. so much. And um, and so when we were there at the opening house, and the head of school first of all said, and people can't see me doing the air quotes, but you'll hear it. I want you to look at the catalogs for a lot of these other schools, and I want you to read their mission statements. You'll hear a lot of buzzwords like academic rigor, and. <laughs> scholarship and we want to be very clear to you that our social justice mission is more important than our academic mission wow and it was when they got to explaining how they have a free mumia day that my wife uh were like like we must get out of here but we were trapped in the center of the room um and that is that is like yeah not I mean George Hunter is much more left wing than a lot of schools but not that much more than like yeah. Sidwell. all of these schools do this virtue signaling stuff where they want you to know that part of the way they get qualified teachers is by agreeing to indoctrinate your kids into all sorts of garbage
2: so we have we have we have to do a spot but I do Rob said something important, which is, yeah, they don't, yes. you know, people, really? parents don't really care. Well, aside from, you know, his, his, um, his, uh,
0: supportive elder abuse, uh, and then supported. I, I just said, sometimes they deserve it. Very subtle distinction in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Anyway, uh, because when he, when he, when, he said, when he said when he said a lot of these parents don't care about education they care about you know uh, pl- placement in okay yeah. college admits. see there's a whole thing where people talk about parents in 2021 as though they are parents in like 1970 it's like oh my god I mean you know parents don't want their kids to do drugs or parents don't want their kids this or you know when they were in school they read the Odyssey in Greek and all this and this is not. <laughs> Parents today. Now I'm an I'm an old parent. I have my kids in my 40s, but you know you are uh, a victim I, of elder abuse. Uh, by you, I think you're David you, <laughs> you, you <know, laughs> <laughs> Um But um, no, but so what? But I mean, my point is that like there are parents in America who are you know basically from a generation uh, younger than I and. Um, It's not like the education system hasn't been a colossal train wreck of illiteracy and and everything for the last 40 years. And so what what does a parent who has kids going into school today in 2021, what do they think are the classics that kids should read? I would say they they think they're like the color purple. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Esperanza rising and they don't they don't want they don't care about Dickens. They don't care about Shakespeare. They they are themselves the products of the post 60s educational revolution. And so, yeah, you know what they care about? They care about college admissions and stuff like that, because they already know within themselves that school is garbage. And also they
3: they know how it works. They know how the world really works. They know if you. I mean, it doesn't really matter like whether you want to be an artist or you want to be a professional dancer or you want to work at the New York Times or you want to be at Goldman Sachs. Whatever, whatever area you want to excel in, it helps to have a fancy college degree at a fancy college. So they, the the the, the point. The, the irony is that as edu- the process of education has become less and less about actually being educated and more and more and more about. Um, uh, Economic and social advancement. The vocabulary has been less and less and less about the sort of incredibly mercenary economic and social advancement, and more and more and more about the sort of therapeutic education we're giving our children. And the irony is, is that everyone knows what's really happening, but you're just not allowed to say it. It's like, right. It's like it's the like the elder abuse thing. You're not allowed to, to saying, say right, Some of right, them deserve it. Right. Right. Exactly. But it's like it's why we call it a restroom and not a toilet. Because it's, like, uncomfortable. We all know what goes on in there. I'm sorry, is right. this a segue to Kitty Poo? I don't know if I'm... No, I'm no, no, being... no, 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 oh. no.
2: But it is a segue to Gabby Insurance because we're, <laughs> okay. we're all looking for ways to save money, right? Unless you have a private school tuition, uh, especially now. So let me ask you this. How would you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? That's how much Gabby customers save per year on average on car and home insurance. That's why... When you go shopping for insurance, you should use Gabby because this is the time of year people go shopping for insurance. And Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive Nationwide and Travelers. Just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. So, like I mentioned earlier, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. I bet that it'd be nice to have in your pocket every year. If they can't find you savings like they have done for so many, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you already have the best rate out there. And they'll never sell your info, so no annoying spam or robocalls. You're probably overpaying on car and home insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash GLOP. That's gab icom slash GLOP. Gabby.com slash GLOP, and we thank Gabby Insurance for sponsoring the GLOP. Podcast, you know, you mentioned Mickey Rooney's now notorious performance in Breakfast at Tiffany's, in which he played the Japanese photographer for Mr. Yunioshi, who is a character in Truman Capote's novella, but um, is a sort of a respectable man who says, uh, "Miss Go lightly, I must protest when she rings her door when she rings this doorbell at all hours of the night because she forgets her key." Only Mickey Rooney, of course, uh, portrays. Mr. Yunyoshi under the direction of Blake Edwards as a buck-toothed, slant-eyed, right. um, you know, sort of a lunatic, uh, you know, ludicrously comic character.
4: Once again, I must a death!
2: So TCM uh, has decided to do, I think, what's a smart idea, which is a film festival in which they are on air, in which they are running uh, legitimately great movies that are, in the current context, uh, highly problematic – Uh, Highlighted by the granddaddy of them all, Gone with the Wind, which of course features the um, uh, rosy-cheeked portrait of antebellum Southern life and the and the and the happy slaves who work uh, on the Tara plantation. Quitting
4: time? Who says it's quitting time? I said it's quitting time. I'm the foreman. I'm the one says when it's quitting time at Tara. Quitting time.
2: I I should look up the list of of movies. But, um, see, it seems to me that this is the way to do it, which is uh, to um, show them, but acknowledge and have a discussion around what it is that they do that we find hard to take now. And whether – now, the problem is, of course, that uh, uh, it will be very hard for anybody – you really – can't really mount a defense of the portrait of the slaves in uh, Gone with the Wind, uh, or the use of the of, of the word darkies uh, as a kind of, you know, just a general term used to describe them and all of that. Um, but you, you can say, look, this is the uh, most successful and most important, yeah. in some ways, the most important movie ever made, and here's why it's good or great or whatever in spite of this, or can it trans, or did it, was it only successful because it reflected these tropes or stuff like that that seems to me to be the right way to deal with these questions as opposed to as opposed to cancellation
0: i agree i think that's a, that's smart but there are
2: people i know who, who, who think that even framing it this way is is an aspect of cancel culture or that it's a it's an act of injustice you know because people should be able to understand this you know on their own
0: no i mean look i, I i've written a lot about how uh banned book week and read a banned book was always BS um, because the books weren't really banned it was like some book was taken off of a, career, uh, a syllabus in a high school in, in Kansas and like they call that banned but those ba- read a banned book festival kind of things that's kind of what you're talking about is like there's like stuff that, question, that, that challenged people's views and that was considered outrageous and sometimes it wasn't, sometimes it wasn't so, you know, putting in that context kind of lets you off the hook to actually enjoy it as a movie. And I though think that the movie it should culminate with isn't Gone with the Wind, but it is arguably the last great movie to send up a lot of this stuff, Tropic Thunder.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my um, god. Let's
0: go get those Viet Congs.
4: Viet Cong. What? It's Viet Cong. It's no S. It's already plural. You wouldn't say Chinese. Is. Uh,
2: that is. So I was trying to describe Tropic Thunder to my kids, and I found I couldn't even describe it. Yeah. You know, because the voca. you know, and Tropic Thunder came out in 2008. That's, yeah, that's 13 years that, ago, that's right? right that's under the, the wire. So we no, need to explain really. what the. Right. But we need to. Well, because it was shocking when it happened, but it was still in the realm of. Of uh, a, a parody of Hollywood's focus on these questions, right? So, right. Uh, well, we, we should, don't. We don't, need don't, to tell. We
0: need to explain why. So, Joe, well, why? It, it,
2: why is Tropic Thunder problematic?
0: Well, because it. I, I, I don't think it's problematic. I think it's brilliant. But, yeah, it um, is,
2: but yeah,
0: it, it plays on all of the. It, it makes fun of almost all of the obsessions that took over not all of them but a lot of them that took over Hollywood since it was made and that they kind of got right in front of the wave on you know white actor the most obvious one is white actors playing or I shouldn't even say white actors actors of one race or ethnicity playing another race or ethnicity and the robert downey jr character who wears blackface and black body no 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 plays, he he
2: takes medication like in Black Like Me, the book Black yep. Like Me, to turn his skin black, because oh, he's such a right. method He's such like, a method like, actor. Like in Soul Man. Right. Yeah. He's such a method actor that he must become black in order, he's like Daniel Day-Lewis, he must become black in order to be black and then he spends the entire movie, he's an Australian, but he spends the entire movie black and saying things to other black people like... Right, he'll never get like, out of character. Yeah, he'll know. say things like, We've been oppressed for 400 years. You know, <laughs> the guy's like, <laughs> yeah, what are you talking true. about? You haven't been oppressed before. You're, Australian. You're an Australian white <laughs>
1: guy. For 400 years, that word has kept us down. What the f***? Took a whole lot of time just to get up that hill. You know, we up in the big leagues. Cannot turn it back. As long as it live, it's you and me, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's the theme song for the Jeffersons. You really need help. And
1: yeah, just because the theme song
3: don't make it not true. Uh, but the 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 the, the China White the, 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 the China version, yeah. the most intense part is, if you haven't seen the movie, is when Robert Downey Jr., who now of course is an unimpeachable movie star, um, is in blackface in using black dialect, is also telling Ben Stiller that in his recent mm-hmm. Movie, the reason it bombed was because he was playing Simple a mentally challenged – Simple Jack playing a mentally challenged person. <laughs> he went full – and the, I'm going to use the word just because you have to yeah. hear it. He went full retard. And then he uses what we now think of as the R word about 27 times. So there's yeah. a guy in blackface using the R word, yeah. right. and somehow this movie – this part of this movie has been completely memory holed it's like nobody wants to talk about it cuz everybody likes Robert Downey Jr. and if you ever bring it up to somebody who's like super woke, they'll say something like, "Well, the context is important," which they never say about anything about else anything. at any other time. It's just that this movie kind of like it. I don't like yeah. governor of the governor of Virginia, so it doesn't really matter to me what the context was of his yearbook picture, when he was in blackface, if he's make I don't care, but I do care about this.
0: But but the um but the thing is is that While it's been memory hold in terms of official conversations, uh, you know, in Fancy Pants magazines and whatnot, the phrase never go full blank comes from that movie. I mean, and that is used every single hour on Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. It's maybe not not always full retard. It can be something else, but never go full Corey Lewandowski. You know, but <laughs> well, well, that was that's like, you know,
3: they're uh, pretty much the the Fox News primetime lineup is a case of people not following that advice. <laughs>
2: but look, <laughs> the thing about Tropic Thunder is that it is a parody of Hollywood, right? That it's not it is a it is a spoof of Hollywood tropes and self-importance and self-obsession that that is that is the genius of it. So the point here is that. It is this full-on – Robert Downing Jr. is a full-on parody, a combination of Russell Crowe and Daniel Day-Lewis, right? A self-involved, self-absorbed, mean yeah. Australian who the only way that he can act something is to remain in character the whole movie and 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 is so committed like that he'll go off for a year and learn how to be a cobbler in order to play somebody who makes shoes in a movie or something like that, right? And so you take this in a great satire – to its logical extreme, which is he wants to play a black guy, he turns yeah. himself black, and then believes that he is black. Oh, and it that, reminds that, that's me... That's every actor yeah. in the world. Yeah, so I told you this story, I think, I've told this before about Daniel Day-Lewis, but I have a I have a friend who had a small part in There Will Be Blood. And uh, and so Daniel Day-Lewis playing, you know, in one of his great performances, plays this, you know, uh... uh, uh, uh Prospector, okay. right? Uh, with this, you know, voice he sort of picked up from John Houston in in Chinatown, and he, Daniel Plainview, and there he is, and he, um, and so my friend would be in the makeup chair on Monday morning, and uh, and and Daniel Day Lewis would come in to sit in the makeup chair, and the whole point is that he was in character but it he what it was 20 tw- it was like 2007 when the movie was being made and he was in character but he under he didn't treat everybody else like they were in character so he'd be like so Jim did you do anything over the weekend you know and Jim would be like yeah you know i had dinner at you know at, uh, at outback steakhouse you know and then Dale Lewis would say did you have the blooming onion you know, like, like that so it's like what are you mm-hmm. doing? Who uh, what I flew in a giant iron bird you know, to New York yeah. City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. All right. That's <laughs> the way to put it. So, so yeah, no. It's kind of an amazing, you know, an amazing story, right? And then the whole thing was this incredibly canny piece of advice that he extends that his character, Robert Downey Jr.'s character extends to to um, uh, Ben Stiller's character, who is an action star who wants to become like a great actor. So he takes the heartwarming part of the mentally challenged person, but he tries to be Robert Downey Jr., and he goes right, too far, right. right? Then Robert Downey Jr. in that voice, in the voice of the black right, right. guy that he now believes himself to be gives him this very, like, you know, <laughs> you never want right, to go full right. retard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, it's genius. They, but they, but, this but is here's the interesting People on a on a movie set who think that they're making a movie when in fact they're in the but middle right of a of, of a of a military uprising. But here's what's in interesting Wales about the advice like that.
3: that Robert Downey Jr.'s character gives to Ben Stiller's character: it's absolutely it's right, brilliant. I yeah.
1: mean, it was just really quite a. It was crazy. Is that working with Mercury? It's how science, man. It's art form. Yeah, you an artist. That's hmm. what we do, right? Yeah, yeah. Hats off for going there, especially knowing the academy is about that shit. About what? You're serious? You seriously don't know? <laughs> Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman. Ray man. Look retarded. Act retarded. Not retarded. Count two picks. Cheered cards. Autistic. Sure. Not retarded. Yeah, Tommy Hanks. Forrest Gump. Slow, yes. Retarded maybe. Braces on his legs. But he chimed to pants off next to him. They won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. Peter Settlers being there. Infantile, yes, retarded, no. You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. You don't buy that? That's Sean Penn, 2001. I am Sam. Remember? Went full retard. Went home empty handed.
3: He says, he says, but wait, he says, Dustin Hoffman, autistic, not, you know, gets an Oscar. Uh, 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 Mickey Rooney, Bill, TV movie, Emmy not he's only you know brain it not and he goes through all the people yeah. and it was all about like how you get your award golden globe for that. you know it's like yeah. it was great it was and it was absolutely true yeah. there is a i think it was I am Sam was the first movie with right. Sean, yeah. Penn Sean Penn in which right. the character playing someone who is mentally challenged does not win an award because at that point you're we like, well, this is like too easy. Right. We're just giving out awards for everybody, and that was exactly right. That's where that it's where that came from. We used to say that uh, it, every single movie about this subject came down to the the one of the characters turning to his parents and saying, "We want to get married," and then the parents saying, "No, you can't. You don't know what love is." And then that's the movie. They eventually
0: get married. <laughs> yeah.
3: What's your phone number? Give me your uh, but, phone I, number. I so get am get Sam. Was yeah. uh,
0: I understand was actually a fairly pernicious movie in that the tagline for it was "Love is all you need," and the whole gist of it was that simply because he loved this girl, he should be its gar- her guardian, regardless of the fact that like he could burn yeah. the place down at any given moment. <laughs> because love, mm-hmm. when you're a parent, you know, is all you need. You don't yeah. need like money yeah. or life skills or yeah, it helps you to remember things, things you know. Yeah. And there were some people who take. There's some people from that community who are like, this is not the best message yeah. because <laughs> some of the people like the I am Sam character in real life need to know what their right. limitations are and why there are some things there they can't do. Yeah, it's like love and, is all you need. Right. Well, you um, should
3: remember your zip you code. Know. Try that one. Just for like simple things. <laughs> you are. Wait. Can I go one going step going further? On? Can, can I make it even today. horrible for you? I remember <laughs> I remember years ago, William F. Buckley was not not only alive, but I think it was like the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, on Nightline. Remember Nightline? Nightline used to have like – it was kind of like an old uh, quiz show in New York City because people would show up for Nightline 1130. In the in the studio and some yeah. of them would be in black tie like Henry Henry is always like there and Secretary right. Kissinger yes I am coming from the you know he coming from something fancy just to do a TV show yeah. for late night and they had uh, a guy who was um uh he was uh, gonna sail uh around the world across the Atlantic and he's blind solo sailing solo blind sailor across the Atlantic and Ted Koppel thought, well, we'll have the the most famous yachtsman in the world, William F. Buckley, will come, and the three of you will, will all talk about this. And so the guy talked about his like courageous thing. He's about to go. He's going to go next week, and he's very excited. He's going to prove that blind people can sail. Um, that blind people can sail alone across the Atlantic. <laughs> what do you think about that, Mr. Buckley? And Bill said, um, "They can't do it. You you can't, you can't <laughs> sail solo and, and be blind. You can't. You, you mustn't do this. It's very dangerous." And the guy said, how dare you? How dare you, sir? Shame on you, sir. And then it became an argument. And Buckley was saying, no, there's some things you can't do if you're blind. One of them is you cannot see. That is the definition of bind. And therefore, if you're a solo sailor across the Atlantic and you're blind, you're not going to be able to do it. You have to be able to see. There's no – this is like before. There was no – no no, no one was like – there was no talking sat-nav or whatever. It was like it was all like instrumentation. Um, You can't – you cannot um, navigate by the stars. You cannot navigate by the compass. You cannot navigate by a chart. You cannot navigate by the sun or the – you cannot navigate. Um, And it was like outrageous. How dare you? I will show you, sir. And it turns out a week later the guy sailed, and then he had to turn back because you can't sail across the Atlantic if you're blind.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, I'm sorry, Rob. Can I just tell you, can I just tell you that if you have multiple credit cards, no, I'm not even trying not, to go for a transition here. If you have multiple credit cards, you know that trapping, tracking multiple balances, due dates, and website logins can be stressful. Upstart makes things simple with one monthly payment in one place. Upstart is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and can receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash GLOP. That's upstart.com slash GLOP. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash GLOP and our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring the
0: GLOP podcast. So, so our, I have a Nightline yeah. story. I, wanna, yes. I, I oh, don't want yes. to be able to give it in. So, yes. yes. Um, Louis Farrakhan was on Nightline in... When did Independence Day come out? 1996? Uh, yeah. Fair so Farrakhan was on... I think it might have been Chris Wallace subbing, or maybe it was Chris Bury or someone, but it wasn't Cobble. Anyway, he was interviewing... <clears throat> um, Um, Farrakhan asking him about his belief in aliens and UFOs, which in fairness is more acceptable position these days than it has been in the past. But he said Farrakhan says something along the lines of, well, look, one only has to look at the popularity of films like Independence Day to see that many Americans agree with me about, The the prevalence of alien life on planet Earth or something to that effect. And the interviewer says, yes, but Minister Farrakhan, that's just a movie. And Farrakhan says, or is it? (laughs) 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 And I always love that. It's like, you know, okay, well. Answer it. the question. <laughs>
2: well, that reminds me of a story about Spike Lee that Spike Lee once in some interview or something like that said went on this sort of riff about how you know America's a racist society and uh, drugs were deliberately yeah. deposited into the black community uh, you know in order to make uh, black people you know uh, that was back in, was conspiracy theorist, and, and drugs and it's really terrible. Right, no, and, and this was also terrible and everything like that, and and somebody said, uh, this wasn't the CIA story, this was like yeah. earlier, like this is how, this is how, why, why people got on drugs or something like that, and so somebody interviewing him said, well, how do you, how do you know that this was what was being done? And he's like, well, you know, it's that, that scene in The Godfather, uh, where they're <laughs> sitting around the table, and they're talking about whether or not they should be oh, going yeah. to the drug business. And you know, and the, the, there's a there's a, a horrifyingly racist speech made by one of the one of the the dons around the table, right? Who says, "I don't like this drugs uh, unless you put it, uh, you know, in in that community over there, they're animals to so let them lose their souls." Right. So the whole point is like Sp- Spike Lee developed an entire contained conspiracy theory about the deliberate dissemination of heroin and drugs in the black community based on a scene in The Godfather, which is not a documentary. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is that Mario, Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather. Or is it. Or, right. Well, it seems like a documentary to us. But anyway, there is that weirdness where people, you know, get everything uh, mixed up in their, in their heads, you know, and they think that things that they heard or learned about, uh, you know, in a, in a movie – uh, are documentary reality, and and they're not, and that's of course why Spike Lee is the winner of the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award, and uh, and 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 all of that. So
3: it is amazing. I mean, like I don't want to get talk about politics, but it is amazing how, in terms of all these double standards, that the Robert Downey Jr. standard for Tropic Thunder is not the Ralph Northam standard, whatever. Um, it is amazing how many conspiracy theories. I encountered spouted by members of Congress sometimes or prominent Hollywood figures or people on television or professors at Yale that we just kind of said, oh, that's just his crazy view of whatever. And we kind of moved on and how quickly that has become because the wrong people, I think, are doing it and the wrong people are having their conspiracy theories uh, brooded about – how quickly that's become a, a, a what is perceived as a huge problem in America? I mean, nobody ever called Maxine Waters on what she would say about crack or AIDS and the, and and who created it and who and who unleashed it in, in South Central L.A. Nobody ever did that. They just kind of, uh, you know, okay, well, all right. Well, I don't really think the Jews killed Kennedy, but, you know, (laughs) the guy wants to say it or whatever it was. The political science professor at Yale was telling me about uh, the cabal of corporate, you know, uh, titans who gather together like the, you know, the Republican Party and the Simpsons. You know, it's like there's a vampire and (laughs) and a clown and Mr. (laughs) Burns. Like that was their worldview. And we all kind of like, ah, you know, that's sort of silly, but it was not considered pernicious. Maybe because it wasn't pernicious, or maybe yeah. because it was, and we just decided not to pay attention to it.
2: Well, I, I love this fact that you know there is now this uh, roundup, right, of everybody who was at the Capitol protest, right? And they're using yeah. uh, they're using face recognition technology and all this, and they made hundreds of arrests <laughs> yeah. and all that, That'll right? Keep people are okay. not being paranoid, <laughs> right? Which is which, fine. Um, you know, when uh last I heard, and this was you know almost fifty years ago or stuff like that, but there was a contained there was a three year investigation. By the church committee and, and and members of Congress into the misuse of intelligence assets in both within and without the United yeah. States yeah. to target citizens that the FBI believed were engaged in revolutionary activity and the COINTELPRO uh, uh, stuff at, at the FBI, which was and, – and, and the CIA, which was uh, very real, was essentially ended then because it was decided uh, by a kind of common consensus that this was a bridge too far. This was something government shouldn't be doing, even if they had reason to suspect that that crimes were being plotted or something like that. The threat to civil liberties was too great. Well, right. it's always the case that you don't care about the civil liberties of people whose politics you hate. And so now the civil liberties of, you know, right-wing lunatics are now totally up for grabs, as far as I can tell. Yeah, uh, you're right. Because it's not just them, of course, right? It's not just the people who are at... Who were at the protests? Who arguably, you know, uh, went in and therefore trespassed and did criminal trespass and all this? But then it's like, well, who are their Facebook friends?
0: Who did right. they communicate with on Reddit? Who? wasn't there? So the best example of this is what Leo Rabuffo, the historian, called the Brown Scare, and where the <laughs> House Un-American Activities Committee. I'm sorry, I just, I just. My brain yeah. just went to a bunch of jokes. Go ahead. Yes. I understand. Yes. Go ahead. I understand. Um, <laughs> and, you know, people forget that HUAC started as a Nazi hunting thing before it became a commie sure. hunting thing. And, um, you know, this is a point picture a Nebushi Jewish man in, in flannel, like gray flannel pants and a business shirt on a Saturday pushing a small child on a swing. That's my dad explaining to me how the communists in the American Communist Party were happy to use, I think it was called the Taylor Act, to rat out the Trotskyites um, to Congress um, and name names and give lists. And it was only when the same tactics were used against the Stalinists in the American Communist Party that they started screaming bloody murder about civil liberties and whatnot. And I think it was just... It's one of the more fun oh, yeah. aspects of American history is, is like, yeah. by all means, let's use the nearest weapon to hand to get those bad guys. But the second that becomes used yeah. against us is like, grab your pearls. Well, that happened in in, uh, in the
3: so the McCarthy period in Hollywood, which is that there was you know you talked to the some of the people who spoke to Huac or name names or all the sort of like the, the the criminals there who did that or the thought criminals who did that. Almost all of them say the same thing, which is like those bastards. You know, they wouldn't let they wouldn't cast me in one of their movies back when all the commies were working together. It was all just kind of settling business scores. Like, yeah, you know, they they were a cabal and they wouldn't hire me because I was whatever. They only hired their friends. So yeah, you know, bottom rails on top now. I'm like, forget it. We're, we're going to blacklist you. And and the, 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 those are people who are sort of tone deaf to what eventually became the idea of McCarthyism. But at the time, it was simply score settling. And I will go – okay, since I'm obviously now six for six on cancel on things that I'm going to get canceled for, I will say – I don't know what percentage, but there is a percentage, a non-trivial percentage of the – me, me too is a me too, you know, uh, environment. Me too umbrella issues uh, have a, all, all, there's a non-trivial percentage that are only about money and power. I want it. You're in my way. Uh, we are. We, this guy wants more money from us. If you're a studio and we feel like we don't have any leverage, so we're gonna we're, we're gonna investigate him and 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 use that to break the contract. Uh, I don't like my older bosses. They're in my way. I'm going to get them out of my way. That happens. All, I think that's a, a, a non-trivial percentage. That's all I'll say. I don't know how many. I don't know right. what the percentage is.
2: But okay. So you know, there's a story this week uh, that uh, a 27-year-old journalist named Alexi McCammond was hired. Uh, uh, works of Politico was hired to be the editor of Teen Vogue. Right. And uh, a another young female journalist named Diana Tsui, who worked at the Cut and now works at something called The Infatuation. Uh, dug into Alexi McCammon's past and found that when she was 17 years old, she had said stuff like, ugh, I have a stupid Asian TA. Or something like that. Um, what, she was a scholarship student at the University of Chicago. It was her freshman right. year. She joins Twitter and she says something. She says there, she makes three comments in three months in which the word Asian is used slightingly. And Diana Tsui says, I'm sick and tired of Conde Nast saying they care about diversity and da 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 when they do stuff like this. Now, Alexi McCammond is black. Diana Tsui is Asian. The idea is, this is why are people doing this to Asians? It's so terrible. And all of that, and Alexi McCammon apologized, and she said she was terrible, and then she said uh, – then Diane Tsui said she didn't say it was racist. She just said it was offensive, so she should have said it was racist, so she doesn't mean it, and blah, 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 and all this is going on. And part of my thinking here is that Diana Tsui yeah. is pissed off because yes. she's not the editor
0: of Teen Vogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why I, no, is Alexi it's... McCammon the
2: editor of Teen yeah. Vogue?
0: Yeah. No, I think it's absolutely – I think you're absolutely correct. I have no opinion on this
3: other than that it sounds like you're right. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean – and also the, what what struck me is that uh, – uh, among the uh, many things that struck me is that these are all very young people. So we say that uh, she did these tweets when she was 17. That was only seven years ago, right? In 2014, I knew not – I, a, a, a gentleman in his 50s, knew don't tweet that. The the question is how I mean and most of the reckonings here we see are from you know, people, men, mostly white men, who were just too old and grew up in a time when you were allowed to say that stuff and make those jokes. But these are children. They knew. They knew way back then. I, I just am interested in the in the in the mentality of somebody.
2: Well, it was twenty it was it was it was 2011, 2011, and I'm not sure that they knew them, but we can – we can yeah. anyway, I'm just saying that this is a very interesting aspect of cancel yeah. culture is that there are people who benefit from cancellation. Yeah. And we – and the part of the secret genius of cancellation as a strategy is, of course, that it hides the ambition of those who are seeking to destroy others uh, in, in, in the mantle of righteousness and progressive politics yeah. – so it's a brilliant gambit if you're going for yeah. it, right? I mean, it's uh, you know, okay. So you know, the other thing that's brilliant, it's er, everyone. I'll, I'll make this, this, uh, this, this may may, or may may
3: sound stupid, but I think in in the in the current climate, every single person is a potential Eve Harrington or a potential Margot Channing. Margot Channing. I knew you'd know the name. So that's all about Eve. That's Margot Channing's Betty Davis. She's the famous Broadway star. She befriends this waif at the stage door, Eve Harrington. Turns out Eve Harrington's no waif at all, but she's a very, very ambitious actress, and she's her, her goal is to be the next Margot Channing. And she, she almost almost succeeds.
2: Uh, it's a pretty great movie, but it essentially it's a story of cancel right. culture. Um, and, yeah, yeah, she's attempting to become – she becomes her aide in order to become her – And literally systematically tries to take over her life and take over her job, take over her husband, take everything. That's.
1: Well, I'm sorry, I didn't. Outside mean. of a beehive, Margo, your behavior would hardly be considered either queenly or motherly. You're in a beehive, pal. Didn't you know? We're all busy little bees, full of stings, making honey day and night, aren't we, honey? Margot, really? Please don't
4: play governess, Karen. I haven't
3: your unyielding good taste. And, and and she's not a psycho, like the in in a current, in the current in a, any remake of that movie. She would be considered, oh, she's a psychopath. She's a single white female. She's like, oh, if this is a, a woman who's mentally disturbed. But in the movie, she's not mentally disturbed at all. She's just ambitious, and she's pulling the levers that she can pull to get where she right. wants to get. And I think that's probably more truthful. I mean we, we keep trying to think of, think of n- natural, human, avaricious, great, greedy, rapacious, evil behavior as somehow mentally ill when in fact it is it is utterly human.
2: You know what else is utterly human? Uh, Being overwhelmed by choices. And, you know, online shopping can be daunting. You never know if things will fit. Returns are difficult. You don't even know which store to start with. This season let Stitch Fix do all the hard work. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique style. Uh, size and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy. Keep your favorites and send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. There's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards pieces you keep, and there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men and kids. They ship all over the U.S. and are available in the UK as well. Get started today at Stitchfix.com slash glop and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's Stitchfix.com slash glop for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. And a special thanks to Stitch Fix for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Uh so we are we are we are we are nearing rounding the corner here, nearing the end. Uh, Although you know, when Donald Trump said we were rounding the corner on uh, on the coronavirus, we then got into a fourth wave, or third wave, or second wave, whatever wave that was. <laughs> Rob, I think
3: he, this the this podcast is like a yeah, virus. He I said like
2: something about having a piece of gossip that we're gonna was maybe oh. going to make people hate us. So maybe we should close out. Yeah, with that. yeah. I don't think it may you hate us, but this this is the gossip that I have heard uh, from um, a uh,
3: a respectable. Mainstream journalist who uh, was recently at Mar-a-Lago to interview, kind of, you know, the former president, and he or she reporter said to me, "A very diminished person. Seems depressed, and the the, the rueful, kind of sad." Slightly bitter joke was very low energy. Hmm.
0: <laughs> I believe it makes so sense. That's the gossip. Did you see his statement yesterday? Uh-huh. As, as presidential office of <laughs> the, the, the president, president. <laughs> tw- you know, or yes. tweet. Um, it was sad.
2: You mean, you mean yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the one where where, hope where people he said, listen. hope people remember no, where, where, where he said you wouldn't be getting this vaccine for five years if it weren't for me
0: right but also it had it was full of all right? um, of the his weird Twitter grammatical solicism and, and, and usage weirdness and all that kind of stuff and capitals weird capitals weird parentheses and and the problem is like the medium is the message, you know. Not to get all Marshall McLuhan, but so like you can get away with that stuff on Twitter, but when it goes on official stationery and you're, and it looks like you just want to be on Twitter, it's really sad, you know. I mean, it's it's it, it 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 was a sign that he's going through a certain kind of Twitter withdrawal, or it's like he's trying to replay the greatest hits, you know, in, with with a different instrument, and I just don't think it works, but.
2: Look, I think the most important thing about him right now is this war that he is staging on the financial future of the Republican Party by by essentially demanding that uh, the party uh, not use his name likeness or anything about him because he's going to use his own name and his own brand to raise his own money for his own PACs and things like that. Uh, and, of course, that, that's this is uh, very interesting because it, it, it basically establishes the precept not not only that he is the party uh, and that he will now officially be the party because you'll give him the money instead of the party, but um, he does this with absolutely no assurance or guarantee that any dollar that anybody sends him is ever going to go into right. politics. Just because you send it to his pack or something like that, he can do whatever the hell he wants right. with it, including buy right. buildings and, you know— uh, you know, dance on, you know, do whatever it is that he that he might want to do with the money. So it's essentially a kind of like that thing that was in the back of uh, when when Soupy Sales uh, ended his show one day, his kids show by saying, yeah, yeah, go to mom's purse and send me a dollar. And then, like thousands yeah. of kids went and took money out of their mother's wallet and sent soupy Sales a dollar. Like you know, this is essentially what he's trying to do with 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 uh, with the, with the Republican grassroots. And I I enjoy this because good let like let look, they sold their souls to him, and uh, now like uh, people who sell their souls, uh, they're now going to reap the whirlwind in the form of. Their committees, their, you know, their staffs, all of that, uh, having the money that they need to do what they do conventionally uh, challenged and and taken away from them. So,
0: yeah, I mean, if you can get beyond like, will it be bad for America if the Republican Party is destroyed, which I think is an an important question um, with with many interesting answers to it, you know, depends how it's destroyed. Who ends up on yeah. top, you know, standing on top of the rubble, yada, yada, yada. But if you get – if you put those conversations off for another day, I don't understand, at least from the perspective of someone like me, how you can't enjoy this, at least somewhat. Because, you know, we've been – it's its like yeah, in right. a movie yelling, that's a shark, that's a shark, that's a shark. And then in the last 15 minutes, someone's leg is being bitten off by a shark. And all you have left oh now is, is I told you so, you know, yeah. and – yeah. So this is Aesopian, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well. Also,
3: I mean, I, you know, I, I, uh, I since you brought it up, my answer is, I think it's better that it be destroyed. It, destruction is can be valuable. No political party or system should last forever, or does last forever. Um, you know, if you think of it as the Clayton Christensen innovators dilemma, you know, there's the uh, there's there's no way to fix the the problem because what you need to do is incubate the re, re, the resistance, which is. What or the or the counter business, which I think is um, probably See, the only I think way you're
2: going to be in the middle. I think what's going to happen is that the that the institutional Republican Party is going to be, uh, you know, in this death throes. But I'm not sure that electorally the Republican Party is going to be in its death throes. Like it's, I got five, it's five no, seats agree. down in the in the House, fifty-fifty Senate. There's going to be an election next year. Maybe there'll be this insanely roaring recovery that will, you know, that will carry, that will make Democrats avoid the standard issue fate of midterm, the first midterms after an election, which is that they're going to lose the House and Senate. Maybe that won't happen, but uh, if it, it, you know, but it could, and so they'll lose, and so then the Republican Party will not be dead, but what will will be hurting and what will be in, in terrible condition are, like, the Republic every support structure for the institutional Republican Party that people live off of, right? That the Republican national right. committeemen live off of, and that the Republican consultancy community lives off of. And all that money that gets raised for campaign committees and this and that and the other thing will be under threat from Donald Trump's own personal maw. And and yet the party understood in aggregate as as the people who get elected to office may be in better shape than than the than its institutional supports will
0: yes yeah, so I'm board. not sure that's right I think that's plausible to be sure. Um, this is why I said it depends sort of you know it's like Ghostbusters it depends on the form of the destructor and um, the what you're saying is basically the brand can endure. Right. The brand could be fine. And Republicans, people who call themselves Republicans can get elected. That could be utterly disastrous if that's the form of the Republican Party being destroyed, because it means that basically what's really destroyed is any notion of respectable conservatism is destroyed. And instead, because Trump anoints the Matt Gaetzes and other ass clowns out there as the um, as the face of the Republican Party, you now have a status woke major party in the, term of the, de- in the form of the Democrats, and you have a statist, populist, asinine party in the form of the Republicans. That's not the way I want to destroy the party because that leaves you no, nothing to build on, right? The, the way to destroy the... <laughs> right. the, the smart, and, and John, you actually wrote a really good column about this a while ago. The smart way to destroy the Republican Party would be for Joe Biden to govern mm. from the center and grab like a dozen Republicans, yeah. Yeah, right. piss off the woke left, triangulate over the fact that he's pissing off the woke left, Empower the center of American politics and be remembered as the guy who actually did do that stuff he talked about in their inaugural about restoring balance and and partisanship and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, but I I, I just can't figure out whether he knows that and has decided he can't do it or doesn't realize that he could do it um, because he's surrounded by people who don't want him to come to that realization.
2: Well, or uh, or or, or, he's asleep, or he's asleep, or he's asleep, and you know he hasn't given a press conference for a hundred days, no. and he couldn't remember the Secretary of Defense's name. Why
3: should he? Why should he give a press call? Con- Why should he bother give a shouldn't. press conference? He Why? Shouldn't. I mean, the 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 less you see an American president of the certainly the past six American presidents, the more popular they are. Giving a press conference only opens you to saying something stupid or getting caught or. Just lay low, or, yeah,
2: and watch your numbers. Get or into being the 60s. revealed as uh, diminished in some fashion or other, whatever, anyway. well, some whatever, okay. whatever, whatever you know. He's he's not
0: actually underexposed. He's out there saying stuff, but he's sort of just not doing it as, in the form of a press conference. I think eventually he's got to do a right. press conference, and it's under. Yeah. Well, I don't I
2: care whether he does a press conference. Anyone who gets
0: really it. worked up about it is, you know, gets in the press.
2: Yeah, or is, yeah. you know, whatever. okay,
0: Jonah. Jonah, people, are you making appearances where people can see you? No, I'm actually uh, doing nothing of the sort. I am actually this Sunday getting on the road and driving cross-country again. Wow. 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 Amazing. Okay. What are you running from? (laughs) (laughs) What are you running toward? (laughs) Uh, That's Uh, better. Um, The journey, not the destination, Rob Rob. Rob, what about, what about
3: you? But what, what's the designation? Uh, I am appearing on the Greg Gutfeld show on Saturday. Uh-huh. I will be taping that on Friday.
2: Okay, so that's Saturday the, uh, also, Saturday the whatever.
3: Also, my beloved and uh, late lamented but still beloved uh, podcast, little commentary, Martini Shot, uh, which I did for 16 years on public radio, and I now do uh, on private. Podcast, not public radio. um Well, I do it for Irish radio still, but I don't. But it's um
2: oh, you do. You do it for Irish, Irish radio, Irish. do you? Uh, uh, Monthly, yes,
3: but sorry, I like yes, I'm doing a little podcast. Yes, that's right. On Hollywood, they're always after your lucky charms. Yeah, um uh, I do it just like that. Yeah, a little Tammy Shanter,
2: Darby O'Gill
3: and the Little People. Here I do my podcast. I, but I'm now doing it privately on a for-profit basis, such as it is. And you can find that a martini shotcast podcast, but or wherever you get your podcast stitcher. Apple podcast app, whatever. It's all there. Just look for Martini Shot,
2: my name, and uh, and you can um, subscribe. Pubs- uh, fabulous. And uh, that Commentary Magazine merch is for sale at merch.commentarymagazine.com. We got T-shirts. We got sweatshirts. We got Crushing Morosity T-shirts and sweatshirts. We got Keep the Candle Burning T-shirts, Commentary Logo T-shirts, Commentary Tote Bags. We've got Women's Tees coming. We got Mugs coming. So keep it coming. Merch.commentarymagazine.com. And guys, yeah. it's been a real pleasure. I think we should end before Rob finally says the thing mm-hmm. thats that we're all going to have to apologize for. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. Here's the no, thing no. about Eskimos. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: You're not supposed to call them Eskimos, dude.
3: Inuits. That's right. I forgot. I've been Dr.
2: Seust. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Spader.
4: Are people gonna talk about the things you do they're gonna talk
1: Join the conversation.
2: I give not a f- about Harry not and Megan.
3: F- Although, look, it's not like we have to stop soon. It's still uh, okay. over an hour of delicious this. Ah okay. uh, yes, yes.